For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Larry Hughes is going to pop out and get the ball. Jordan's going to rub his man off of Leitner and then cut down the center and gets a nice pass from Larry Hughes. All right, DC family, welcome into another Believe in Wizards podcast. Got a really good episode for you today. We've got another repeat guest, Mr. Atan Thomas. He's got a new book out called Police Brutality and White Supremacy, The Fight Against American Traditions. I am about 75% of the way from through this book at the time of this recording. It is really, really good. Atan just gets amazing people to talk to in, in this, and I think it's just a really great way to be more informed, number one, and two, to just hear different perspectives from people you know, that you don't hear about in mainstream media as much as we need to. Like these are important things and Natan does a great job of making them sort of easily digestible in a sense that like everybody can understand where the guests or the speakers he has in this book are coming from by listening to them and the way he interviews them. So if anything, I, I hope I can learn from Natan as an interviewer because I think what he just is able to, you know, get to with people is just so, so impressive. So great book, find it on Amazon, all that good stuff. I'm doing the audio book personally, just because it's uh an easier way for me to, to get through books at the moment, but either either format, I'm sure is great. So definitely check that out. We'll get to him in a minute. Just a quick word from one of our sponsors before we start, though. Football might be over for this season, but basketball is in full steam for both pro and college hoops. From all the latest odds, totals, player performance props to where the next coach fired is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. Head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEF, B-L-E-A-V, to get started. And it's not just basketball. BetOnline is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC odds, right to Olympic coverage. It's the best in the business. From sports right down to your favorite Vegas casino games, BetOnline is your number one online wagering destination. BetOnline, the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports and play your favorite games. BetOnline, where the game starts. All right, like I said, let's get to our conversation with Atan. Again, we, we talk about the book, but we also talk Wizards. As a physical, defensive-minded, rebounding center for this team, I really want to get his perspective, especially on three wizard centers on this rotation that are left. So uh, I think he can shed some really interesting perspective, and, and I think you guys are going to love it. So with that, let's get to our interview. All right, I'd like to welcome in Atan Thomas. Atan, thanks for joining me. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, we're here today to talk about your new book, Police Brutality and White Supremacy, The Fight Against American Traditions. I got to be honest, I feel bad. I did not know this book came out actually last month. So I've, I've been racing to read it all week and it's really good and, and really important. And I, to be honest, I, I wish like this should be required reading in schools. I appreciate it. You know, I mean, with my with my previous book, We Matter, Athletes and Activism, I kind of, you know, started touching on the subject and I took a deeper dive in this one and um, talked to, you know, in, in, in We Matter, I was really 
promoting athletes using their voice, mm-hmm. using their platforms. And there's this big, um, you know, wave of athlete activism that was going on. I wanted to capture everything that was going on and why they were doing it. But this one, I want to take a little bit of a deeper dive. I, I talked to a lot of different family members of police brutality and, um, you know, went back to Rodney King's uh, daughter and uh, one of the members of the Central Park Five, Exonerated Five, uh, Raymond Santana. And we just kind of went deep into the whole topic. So, you know, I'm happy with how it came out. It was it was it was a difficult book to write, but okay. it was it was one that, you know, I really wanted to take a deep dive into it. You know, you mentioned the the athletic component of the last book, but you still have some of that in this one, too. There are several athletes in the book. I do think that, you know, sometimes that helps make it more approachable for people uh, if there are names that they're more familiar with in the book. So I, I think that where you chose to bring them in to speak on, you know, certain portions of the book was really impactful, too. Oh, thanks. Definitely. Um, you know, having their voices, like especially when we're talking about, um, you know, topics, say, say one topic was white privilege. And I talked to specifically white athletes about mm-hmm. this. You know what I mean? Uh, I talked to Kyle Corver and Sue Bird and Rex Chapman and, you know, Brianna Stewart um, to really talk about their perspective. And a lot of times when you're dealing with this subject, there's a lot of people, um, you know, especially in mainstream America, whose ears will automatically close once you say those words. But hearing it from, you know, someone who looks like them, is just makes the whole conversation be able to be digestible a little bit easier. So. You know, it was, it's, it was, it, I like the way that it came out, you know, it touched on a lot of different topics, but you know, it's, a, it's, it's been getting a lot of great feedback um, as of late. So happy about that. You talked about it being a tough book to write and, and I can understand why, but you have a way of like getting people to talk about difficult situations in, in a way that I think, you know, their message gets across in, in kind of an impactful way to, to anyone who reads it. So I, I don't know if that's a, something you do in the interview or the technique or uh, the way the book is structured, but it, it just really kind of worked, I think. I uh, appreciate it. Yeah. It's just really having a conversation. So when I'm, you know, talking, like I had a great conversation with Mark Cuban hmm. um, and we were just talking, you know what I mean? We were, it wasn't like he was on a hot seat. It wasn't like he was being, you know, judged for his answers. We were just talking. Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, when you have those kind of conversations, you know, people are a little bit more relaxed. And, you know, it just it just comes across as a conversation more so as a Q&A, you know, type sure. of an interview. So people can kind of, you know, talk about their honest feelings and their their fears and their hopes and everything like that, all dealing with this subject. So I was a little embarrassed partway through because a lot of these stories I actually didn't know. And that's why I think the book is so important. But what do you think we can do better as a society to make sure that these stories are more well-known and people understand why they're so important? Well, it's tough. I mean, you know, you have right now, there's such a big debate, you know, um, about critical race theory and trying mm-hmm. to kind of stay away from these topics because the thought is that it, it'll it'll cause division. So you try to, you know, kind of brush it to the side and talk about happy things or talk about, mm-hmm. you know, and it's it's difficult to do that. It, it, you know, when I when I'm when I was interviewing a lot of the family members, so I interviewed a lot of family members of victims of police brutality, like impacted families, and so they told their stories and of what happened and the fights that they're going through and the struggles that they're still going through trying to get justice and things like that. You know, it's it's a blessing to be able to use the platform that I have. You know, even though I'm an old retired athlete, you know, I still have a platform to be able to elevate their stories. And like you said, you know, some of the stories you haven't heard. And that's the, the you know, what was, was my goal with this is to bring some of those stories that people haven't heard. 
you know, everybody's heard, you know, certain stories like Trayvon Martin and George Floyd, you know, you've heard those, but there's so many that happen all the time. Um, so in, in trying to be solution oriented of trying to how, how to, you know, improve the way that we police in this country. And that's, you know, the overall goal and using, you know, everybody's voices, you know, athletes included, is just a way to just have uh, that, that ball rolling and gain support and, you know, trying to push for laws to be changed and, you know, raising awareness, all those things all put into one. Does it feel at all to you like we're losing some of the momentum that we had in terms of creating a better society sort of post George Floyd incident and, and, and things like that, where which is not as much in sort of the mainstream conversation, I guess. Yeah. You know, the George Floyd really was shocking to a lot of people. And we talked about that. I interviewed Steven Jackson for that because mm -hmm. he was real close to the situation and he knew George Floyd personally and took it very personally and went on a whole, you know, across the country uh, doing protests and things like that. And yeah, you're right. There was a different level of, a, of, of just awareness um, in mainstream America, like just yeah. all over the place after that happened. And then it kind of, you know, died down a little bit after that. Um, but the cases haven't died down. You know, they just, you know, as we're taping this right now, um, Amir Locke was just, you know, very yesterday. Uh, they just had the funeral for him. And he was someone who was just killed by the police in, in, in Minneapolis again, you know, just like George Floyd. And there was a no-knock warrant and they busted in and, you know, he wasn't even the person they was looking for. And they just started shooting. It was just a terrible situation. But then you have to look at, you know, are no-knock warrants, does anything good ever come out of it? Because that's the same thing that happened with um, Breonna Taylor's situation. So yeah, it's, 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 it's pushing to change laws so that things are different. And you know, I think that's one thing that will help a lot with police reform is some of these archaic laws that we still have in place. Any thoughts on a follow-up or anything that kind of came up during the process of writing this book that you thought is maybe sort of undercovered or, or under-touched on that, that might be worth um, you know some more attention later? You don't have to spill any secrets here, but... No, 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 no. But interestingly enough, a lot of times, as you saw in the book, you know, I use a lot of personal situations mm -hmm. uh, with my family and conversation with my kids and, you know, me and my wife have with our kids, you know, in the stories, because um, a lot of times that's the motivating, you know, factor. A lot of times my my kids... You know, I have a teenage son. I have a daughter who's a teenager. You know, we're dealing with these topics um, as a family. So I'm thinking about possibly writing a children's book uh, dealing with this this topic um, because it keeps coming up when I do different interviews and people are like, oh, you talk about your kids so much. You know, you should think about doing a children's book just specifically geared towards children. And I was like, hmm, okay, that's a good idea. So I'm, I might, that might be what comes up next. I like that idea. And I promise I'm not just blowing smoke here, but I, I think you have a really great way of presenting multiple perspectives in a book. It's not just, you know, here's my viewpoint and I find right. people that align with that viewpoint only. It was, mm -hmm. you could tell during some of the conversations that, you know, maybe you didn't wholeheartedly agree with some of the, the things right. that people were saying, but, you know, you were open to and respectful to, to their positions on things. Definitely, definitely. Well, you have to have a conversation. It isn't just with somebody that agrees with you. Yeah. You know what I mean? You have to have conversations. I, I wish everyone felt that way, though. Yeah, no, I hear you. I hear you. I, and that happens on both sides, both sides of the aisle. You know, so unfortunately, that's something that's difficult for us to do and as a society is, is you know, disagree without being disagreeable. How long did this book take kind of from start to finish? I mean, I would imagine all those people it took a long time to, to get in a room with. and, and talk Yeah, to. It, it did. But, you know, it was at a time when we can like like how we're doing now, you know, mm -hmm. with virtually. And it was a time during with the pandemic. Everybody was home. So it really kind of moved a lot of quick, a lot quicker because of the fact that everybody was shut down. 
So everybody was at home. So I didn't have to work as hard to kind of catch them. They were, they were chilling at the house. You know what I mean? So that kind of, that kind of helped a lot. So. Is Julian Thomas, your brother? Mm-hmm. That's my brother. So I, I have done both of your last two books as audiobooks, and he does a terrific job. So I, I did, I missed that somewhere along the way, but I kind of had a hunch there, but he, he's great. Yeah. You know, it's funny. He's my younger brother mm-hmm. and um, you know, his voice was always deeper than mine. Even when we were little, <laughs> he just had a deeper voice and he does a lot of um, audio books and voiceovers and things of that nature. So as you can tell, he has the voice for it. So that's, that's his thing. So, but he did a great job with it. That's awesome. Atan, where can people find the book? You know, everywhere books are sold, Amazon, you know, a lot of people buying things online, you know, they're still at bookstores. You know, I, I'm somebody who buys my stuff online, to be honest with you. It just They just send it to the house. So, yeah, Amazon Books is kind of the easiest. We've done a decent number of book-related interviews on this show. So I, I like to think I have a ho- like hopeful some credibility with our listeners on what is or isn't a good book. And, and this was a really good book. So I, I would recommend everybody check it out. It's just worth it. And I think you'll feel better uh, for having read it. So uh, I would appreciate you know. that. Appreciate that. Appreciate those words. Yep. Thanks for coming on to talk about it, too. But we're going to talk a little bit Wizards here. Sure. You know, obviously you played with sort of a cast of characters when you were in Washington, you know, some interesting personalities. And part of what we've heard about from this Wizards team is post-trade deadline. There's a lot of, hey, the chemistry instantly got better. Hey, there's less um, sort of egos and and people complaining about their roles or minutes and things like that. How big of a deal is locker room chemistry to a team? Like, can, can that make as big a swing as it seems to have made with this team already? Well, it's huge. It's, it's definitely big. Um, you know, it's it's tough because I I was a big fan of Montrez Harrell. You know, mm-hmm. obviously we have similar playing styles, um, but I but I really liked what he brought to the to the to the game. Um, every single game, his effort, you know, his tenacity, his you know the way that he played, I really I really liked it. You know, what I mean, like he he I thought he brought so I. I wasn't that happy about seeing him um, being traded. Um, as far as the guys that are, that are still here, I mean, I, I was watching a game last night against Brooklyn. I mean, they look good. I mean, yeah. it was great to see Rui back. You know, he, he had his time where he was off, but it's great to see him back. Um, Kispert played well. You know, I'm, 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 it, it, it's it's interesting because, you know, I when, when, when Porzingis, when they first made the trade and they announced the trade, Everybody was um, like, it's great because, you know, the Bertrand situation just wasn't working out. And then they announced that he wasn't going to be playing immediately because of his knee. And then you heard this big collective sigh, like, oh, here we go again. You know what I mean? But I, but if, if, if he can, you know, get that right or whatever, get his health right, I mean, uh, uh, you know, with Kuzma, Bradley Bill, and and Porzingis, that's a that's, that's that's pretty good. You know what I mean? So when they all come back next year and everybody's healthy and Bradley Bill's healthy and everything like that, that could be something really to look forward to. There's a lot of talk now, and I, I think you know, you hear more about analytics today and things like that. And you've got somebody, you know, seven two in in Chris Tabs Porzingis, but isn't a particularly efficient post scorer, but wants to post up a lot. How does how does a coaching staff approach someone like him and say like, hey, we need more of, you know, X, Y, or Z from you as opposed to something else? I don't know. That's a tough one. You know what I mean? <laughs> that that is a tough one. But I, I like what they have inside. Um, I thought it was great for them to get Ish, uh, Ish Smith. Yeah, agreed. Um, from what everything that I've heard from him, he's a fantastic locker room guy. Um, they want to do things that are going to you know help the team 
camaraderie in the mm-hmm. locker room. So that's a perfect person to bring back because everything that, you know, people just gush over him as far as the kind of quality of person that he is. Um, I'm happy to see Thomas Bryant back healthy um, and see what he does. And, 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 uh, you know, Daniel Gafford, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like they complement each other or that one does well what the other one may mm-hmm. not do as well, you know, and, you know, Thomas Bryant can, you know, go outside, you know, he can definitely shoot outside. Um, you know, Gafford doesn't really shoot outside that much, but he's so athletic and he, you know, is like a pogo stick. You know what I mean? So they yeah. could complement each other. So I think you have different looks that you could that you could um, come to each game with, uh, depending on the personnel. So I think they'll probably you know be sharing minutes, but um, you know I think, I think it could work. I think it looks pretty good. The knock on Thomas Bryant has been on the defensive end, and he's a guy that plays with a lot of energy on the offensive end. He beats his man down the floor like it's not up for a lack of effort. How can he translate that better to the other end of the floor? Like, is that something you just either have or don't have, like the willingness to kind of bang and, and scrap with people? I mean, people have different strengths, you know, yeah. and I think one of the things is, you know, playing people to their strengths. So if his strengths are to beat people down the floor, you know, he can step outside, you know, mm-hmm. or really offensive threat. And that's what you need in that situation. And that's when you go with. If you need something a little bit different, you know, you need some, you know, some athleticism near the rim, some finishing, some uh, shot blocking, some, you know what I mean, athletic, mm-hmm. all that. Then you go with that Daniel Gafford. So it's it's they have, but that's a that's a good problem to have where you can yeah. play people situationally, and you know, I think they'll do a good job of utilizing, you know, the their attributes that they have. I don't want to misquote this at all, but I think last time you were on the show, you talked a little bit about like how it took you a couple years to really figure things out on the defensive end, especially, you know, as a center, you're kind of expected to like quarterback some things, you know, from, cause you can see the whole court from, you know, behind people, but for somebody like Daniel Gafford, again, the effort's not an issue. The defense is great, but he has been a little bit foul prone, I guess. Is is that just a learning curve kind of thing that he'll settle into, or is there certain things you can do to channel that energy differently? Well, it kind of depends on depends on the defensive strategy. So when I was playing, you know, for instance, the um, defensive strategy was different under Doug Collins than it was under Eddie Jordan, mm-hmm. um, you know, completely different, like night and day. And as far as what he wanted the big men to do. Mm-hmm. And so the, the way that it was structured under Eddie Jordan, it was easy to get fouls because he wanted us to pretty much cover um, if anybody got beat. So even mm-hmm. if we was on the opposite side, he would want us to come all the way from the opposite side, all the way over to the opposite baseline. If that person gets beat now under Doug Collins, it was different. It was closest man rotate down. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was easier to not get foul trouble that way. So you just have to make the adjustment. Um, and that's just what that's, that's just part of the game. You mm-hmm. know, it depends on defensive strategies, but um, like I said, from, from the center position, I think they're both good options. Um, you just have to play them to their strengths. That's, that's what it's going to boil down to. I've always sort of been curious about this, like, and I've talked to Larry about this, you know, in the past too, like, I think our perception as fans is that like teammates have to all like each other and bond and hang out all the time. Like, but, but but how much do you have to at least like trust and respect the other person to be able to be a successful team? Like that's That's important, right? That's what's more important. You don't have to hang out, you know, you don't have to, I mean, it's, it's funny because, you know, people, I hear people talk about how, you know, Larry Bird and Kevin McHale didn't really like each other that much, mm-hmm. to be honest with you. But they just worked and played well on the court. Um, but then after when it was over, they, they weren't buddy-buddy. And you have a lot of situations that are like that. And I, I think sometimes too much is put on that. But I think it's a little bit 
as a result of social media error and you know they're overanalyzing some things <laughs> you know what I mean? but they, they don't have to be best friends but they do have to have a respect for each other on the court and be able to work together and that's that's what's really more important you hear a lot of stories about like all oh, the the spurs championship teams they all did team dinners and they all hung out you know a certain amount of times do you need like a certain amount of time in a room with your teammates to like understand them enough to to like to build that trust or is that just sort of like hey we're all professionals we should just come in with that baseline i mean each team is different i mean you've heard the you heard the bad boys talk about how they were together and they were a family and you know those back-to-back championships and they did everything together Mm -hmm. and you know they're on the road and everything like that and everybody stayed together you've heard that then you hear other other teams where you know it's the exact opposite but they're still winning so when people are winning you know, you can attribute anything to to why they're winning, but different things work in different situations. I wouldn't say that, you know, if they're not doing the the, the Bill Belichick, you know, like you said, team dinners, everything like that, or the Spurs, you know, that that it, they can't produce a winning culture. I wouldn't say that. Just want to talk a little bit about the sort of Bradley Beal situation here in Washington. I guess just just I your take. What do, you do? what do you do? I have no idea. No idea. Absolutely. You know, you just hope he gets healthy. Um, comes back, like I said, you know, being optimistic, seeing what could be a possibility with Porzingis and, you know what I mean, um, uh, Kuzma back healthy and all playing it, it looks good on paper. You know what I mean? You have to see how everything works. But, yeah, it, it's it's a tough situation. Um, you know, it, the thing about it is he has a choice of if he wants to resign, you know, and, and it, it all depends on what he – feels that is best for him uh, moving forward. And of course, we want to keep him here in, in, in Washington. We want to, you know, I think he's an elite player. I think, you know, I, I see some of the commentary and, you know, in the Facebook group and Wizards Nation or things of that nature and people weighing in on what they think this person should make or this person should make. And that's when you start worrying about that part, you know, yet it's tough. I wish sometimes that they would be able to keep what people make a secret and just focus yeah. on, you know, how the, how the team is playing and what pieces are, are, are playing well and how they fit, you mm-hmm. know, but when, once you start putting in a salary into it, you're like, okay, you know, this amount of salary, um, the expectation should be this amount of output. And sometimes it doesn't work like that, you mm-hmm. know? So, but so when you hear that uh, um, constantly with Bill, but what he has, the potential to make and what, you know, if it's worth it and, you know, what they should do. And it's, you know, I don't really get into those kind of debates, uh, but at, you want somebody like Bradley Beal on your team. And, you know, it, it's, it's when, if, if you're winning, then it, it kind of cures everything. Yeah. If you're losing, then that's when all the different overanalyzing happens. That's just part of the game. <laughs> I think a similar thing happened with Kyle Kuzma and Hey, he can't keep this production up. You know, we've, we've got to trade him now and sell high and all this stuff. And, and one of the things I pushed back on is just, there's so much emphasis and and I think it has to be legitimate because you hear it from almost all of his teammates about what he does for them off the court, you know, Mm -hmm. Hey, I'm going to pull Denny aside and we're going to work on certain moves one-on-one and I'm going to spend extra time in film study with Corey Kispert and things like that. How valuable is sort of the leadership mentoring role you know, to a team beyond just like on-court production? I mean, I think, I think Kuzma has been great. I mean, I, I think that one of the things that was, was, is different between him here and him in LA is that every time in LA, it was like, he was a rookie every year. <laughs> That's what it seemed like to yeah. me. Um, he never could get into the flow. He never could get a role, never can get 
Um, you know, so sometimes he would come in and it would, it, you could tell that the talent was there. You could tell that, you know, the guys were supporting him and everything like that, but he didn't have a role. So he didn't know, do I be aggressive to try to score? Do I just focus on the defense? Do I just, you know what I mean? He was like in the matrix. Um, but now he has a defined role and he could, um, you know, grow, get better, blossom, lead, you know, encourage different guys. Like you said, take somebody to, um, you know, pull them to the side, do extra things. But, and he's showing all of that. So I don't know why anyone would think that when you have somebody that's doing all that, now is a good time to trade them. I don't, I don't understand that logic myself. Same, yeah. Same. But I don't know. <laughs> Uh, we've heard like two, two years in a row now, it's been well into the season where players are still saying, we don't understand our roles, you know, like roles and responsibilities have not been defined yet. It was always sort of my expectation that that's like what training camp was, is like at the least a starting point. Like we're, we're expecting you to do this. If you show us, you can do more great. And we'll kind of adjust accordingly throughout the year. But is that kind of a realistic expectation, I guess? Well, I mean, it's up to the coaches to kind of um, determine what the roles are, and then it's up to the players to accept those roles. You know, mm -hmm. we've been in situations for, you know, decades of, of players that didn't want to accept the roles that they were given. Mm -hmm. um, but that's 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 where problems, you know, happen. You know, if it, it's up to the coach. This is your role. And if you do something outside of that role, then you won't be playing. And a lot of, that, a lot of people, you know, it, it's the, – the, the problem is – when you're at this level, everybody is capable of uh, probably a lot more than what their role calls for them to do. Mm -hmm. But you have to do the role that you're given by the coach. That's just in, in order for it to work. Mm -hmm. So if you're out there fighting against it and trying to do something outside of those parameters, um, then then that's when the, the issues start. I'm just curious, like what your role or not role, but involvement with the team is or relationship with the team is these days. Do you, do you get in and talk to these guys some, cause you are local and things like that? Well, I, you know, before, before COVID I did, before mm -hmm. COVID I was around a lot more, I was doing a lot more events with them and mm -hmm. doing that, that, you know, once COVID happened, I, you know, I was, was kind of laying low a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I think that's what everybody, <laughs> yep. but good, good but, call. Um, yeah, that's, that's pretty much how it, how it was. Cause I think that is one thing that, that I hear a good amount from, from other fans. And, and I agree with it. It just seems like your guys era team is not maybe as promoted as much. Like for me, that was the most fun I've had as a wizards fan is watching, you know, you guys play. And uh, it just seems like there's not much emphasis made on sort of, you know, tying back to that and, and, you know, more like widely broadcasting that you guys do come in and talk to the team and, and have some kind of interaction with the new group. Yeah, but there's a lot of different reasons for that, you know. Sure. Um, so it, it, it eh, I don't know. I agree with you. You know, <laughs> I do. I do agree with you. Um, and you, especially when you see other teams do it, you know. So for instance, I grew up a Knicks fan, mm -hmm. and I see the way the Knicks promote all of their former players, yeah. and they're always around, and they're always you know involved, and they do things in the community, and they're promoted, and they're you know they 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 do it the way. Now I'm not the biggest James Dolan fan, to be honest with you. But as far as that aspect goes, um, you know, I, I think that's something that a lot of teams, NBA franchises should pattern themselves after uh, the way that the Knicks do, do that. You know, it's hard to say that they should pattern a lot after the Knicks these days, but about it, yeah. that's right. I think that's <laughs> one of the things that you can point to and say. There are, I think, a lot of teams where if, for instance, one of their players was a multi-time author, 
they would be some kind of um, things that they did to promote the book or even a retweet or something like that would have been nice, I would think. But I just don't yeah. see those kinds of things from them. Well, I will say that in, in We Matter, I actually interviewed Ted Neonsis. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I interviewed, um, you know, John Wall and Bradley Bill. And, um, you know, so I did interview all of them for the book. But no, and I did a lot. I did, I've done a few events with them. I, I will say I've done a few, uh, you know, with them. And I just did a uh, panel for Black History Month with with um, some of the players, uh, Gafford and then some of the Mystics. So, you know, we do a little bit, but I, but it's not. But when you see the Knicks and the way that they do with their alumni, it's like mm-hmm. on a whole different level. So, yep. you know, I, I know what you're saying. Take some notes. Uh, yeah. Monumental sports. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Last question I got for you here. And just going back to Porzingis for a second, mm-hmm. you were a physical player, but managed to stay largely pretty healthy, you know, despite playing a, a you know, a physical brand of basketball, you know, pre pre hard issue, I guess, at least mm-hmm. um, he's a guy that they've, you know, the health has been, been sort of the biggest thing holding him back. Are, are there certain things that you did that, you know, allowed you to, to, to stay on the court? Is it some of it just luck and genetics? Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, the stuff that I've seen with him, it's not really things that he could control. I mean, mm-hmm. you have like your, your knee. And I think another one was that, you know, it's, it's a foot or something. Yeah. Yeah. Your foot, you can't really control that. And when mm-hmm. you're seven, three, you know, you have a little bit of other stuff going on, True. um, you know, being seven, three, but get him healthy and, you know, back. And it's, it's, it's going to be, I think it's going to be pretty good. He's definitely a, you know, a special player. I think everyone just wants to see him healthy and it, you know, it's, it's, it's tough, like I said, cause it's out of his control. But I think that uh, one thing that I hear a lot of, of, of um, Wizards fans talking about is if they should tank the rest of this year and try to get the, um, you know, a high pick where they should fight for that last playoffs uh, spot. And I'm not really a fan of tanking, you know, mm-hmm. I know that it's produced, um, you know, it's, it's produced in the past in different situations. It has. Uh, you can't say that it, that, that it hasn't. I mean, the way the Spurs got Tim Duncan was from tanking oh, the season sure. before. So you, you I, I, I understand it. But at this part of the season, I think they have a shot to really, you know, get a lot of guys into the into the rhythm of the team and, you know, get the, some kind of camaraderie and make mm-hmm. a push for the playoffs this season. I, if I was the one in charge of that decision, you know, I, I would kind of look more towards that. Um, you have weapons here. You have different people who are, you know, I mean, you could just see how they played last night. They're capable, you know, so, you know, get Porzingis back here soon and, you know, integrate him into the offense, into the flow of everything. You got to see what you can do. The way I look at it is if they win great, uh, great. That's good momentum for next year. And if they don't, and you end up with a, a better draft pick, that's okay too. But I, I want them to be, if they're not winning, it's because a lot of young guys got to learn through, you know, mistakes and, and get a lot of playing time and try to figure out different lineup combos that work for next year as well, too, mm-hmm. as opposed to like, you know, we're going to clear the bench and tank the rest of the season. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's the message you want to send to people. I agree. I agree. Uh, Atan, you've been very generous with your time. I you know, really appreciate you you doing this and, uh, and and carving out a little time for me here and talking some wizards, which is always nice to hear from, from members of your era team. So that was great. Anything right. else you have coming up that you're working on that people should know about? 
Uh, no, I'll be doing a lot of, you know, virtual things right now. I'm doing an HBCU tour. Um, I just did a, a panel with the students from Howard, which was great. Nice. Um, so I'll be doing a lot of that. But, you know, I keep myself busy. Uh, any NBA writing or podcasting going on at the moment? Yeah, I have a um, podcast called The Rematch uh, that I do with BasketballNews.com. And I'm a um, senior writer with Basketball News. So I, I do a lot of writing with them. Um, my recent article was I, I did a Q&A with Kenya Martin. Uh, we were talking about the, the Brooklyn um, Philly trade. Mm-hmm. And what he what he thought and who who came out on top and he, um, you know, he broke it all down. It was a good good interview. Um, but yeah, no, it's 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 fun. What I do with the rematches, I I, I sit down with players and then give them a chance, kind of, to retell their story. Um, you know, a lot of things that uh, a lot of times certain players, you know, you know, people have a certain perception of them because mm-hmm. what they've heard what they remember about the person and things like that. So I let them kind of have a chance to really clear things up um, about themselves and just have a deeper interview with them more than, you know, what people are used to seeing from the person. So I'm enjoying doing that as well. And for the Wizards fans listening to this, there was an episode you did with several other former Wizards that I thought was really interesting. It's probably maybe a year ago at this point, but uh, I'll say Tracy Murray and a couple of, yeah. No, this, no, it was one we were talking about Kwame. Um, oh, that's right. Yep. Yeah. So, so it was uh, Tyrone Nesby and mm-hmm. um, you know uh, Jahadi and uh, Chris Whitney, and we were all talking about everything that was going on with Kwame because uh, we were there. Yep. And then um, I think shortly after that, I sat down and interviewed my man Kwame. So you know, I'm I'm enjoying doing that. Uh, it's very entertaining. I would highly recommend everybody uh, check that out as well. Again, the book is Police Brutality and White Supremacy, The Fight Against American Traditions, available wherever you get your books. Atan, thank you again. No, thanks again for having me. Appreciate it. For anybody that follows me on social media, whether it's Twitter or Instagram or whatever, I think you're probably reasonably aware that I like to consider myself a reader, a well-read person. Uh, last year, I'd, I had a challenge to do 52 books during the course of the year. I finished with 68. I'm going to try to beat that this year. So I really do like to read. I like to consider myself as somebody who knows what a good book is and looks like. And and I really do believe that about Atan's book and just getting his perspective on the team and especially the center position for the Wizards, I, I thought was really interesting stuff too. So if you like that type of content, hit that little subscribe button. So the episodes automatically download onto your phone and that way you don't have to remember to do it each week or wait till you see a tweet about the episode coming out. It'll just show up. It's not a commitment in blood that you listen to every episode, but at least it's there for you. And it makes us feel better if we know uh, people are still downloading this thing. So it it helps us continue to provide you guys with good content. And uh, you know we appreciate the feedback as well. Rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Just a quick word from one of our sponsors, NordVPN. What's more important than peace of mind? Nothing. And that's what NordVPN is here for, to give you peace of mind while you are online. And with all the threats you face today on the internet, it's more important than ever to be sure that you have the best VPN you can get. NordVPN is the world's best VPN service, offering the fastest connectivity, most servers, and next-gen encryption to make sure that everything you do online stays secure. Plus, you can use NordVPN on all of your computers and devices, no matter the operating system. With NordVPN's unlimited bandwidth, you never have to worry about a slow connection either. And plans start at under $4 per month. So grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com slash believe or use the code believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. 
to get up to 70% off your NordVPN plan plus one additional month for free. It's also risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Plus, let's hear from Athletic Greens. Tons of people take multivitamins, but it's important to choose one that is top quality. With one delicious scoop of Athletic Greens, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to start your day right. Their special blend of ingredients supports gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, energy, recovery, focus, and aging. It's also lifestyle-friendly and fits a wide range of diets. There's only one gram of sugar and no chemicals or artificial anything. Reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com slash believe. That's B-L-E-A-V. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash believe. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. These products are not intended to diagnose, treat, or cure, or prevent any disease. Athletic Greens, take ownership of your health. All right, just to close today's show out, we're going to continue with our prospect profile segment we've been trying to do here just to get everybody educated on the draft. We'll have some more like serious draft stuff coming where we kind of consolidate some of these guys we've told you about and, and see which ones actually kind of make the most sense for the Wizards based on on how the team's looking and when we get a little bit of a better idea, you know, where that draft pick might actually be. Today's prospect is Benedict Matherin. He's from Arizona. He's a 6'7 wing. He'll be 20 years old on draft night. He's averaging 17 points, six rebounds, two assists, and shooting 37% from three-point line. You know, this is a guy that, is a monster athlete. Like he, if you just Google Benedict Mather and dunks, it'll keep you busy for a solid six or seven minutes from just this season of him, just like throwing down on people. Uh, he's an explosive athlete. I think he projects well as a defender. Again, he's six, seven, he's long. I just keep advocating for a three and D wing on this roster. And I keep getting pushed back to that of why would the wizards draft another forward? We've already done that. And it, it drives me insane. It's like my one sort of real internet wizard-related pet peeve. You can draft the same position over and over and over again. But if you don't get it right, you still haven't gotten it right. And if you look at every good team in the league, they have stockpiled as many 3 and D wings as they can. And the Wizards have none. Rui is not a 3 and D wing. I like Rui. He just isn't. I like Denny, but he's just not a good offensive player at this point in time. The defense is awesome. Will he ever be a knockdown enough shooter to do that? No. And I'm not sure you want to pigeonhole him into a three and D role in the first place. If he could hit some threes while playing great D, even better. KCP is like a three and D shooting guard, realistically. Like your six five guy can't guard LeBron, guard Kawhi, guard Jason Tatum. Like we're just giving up too much size. Brad is a little undersized. The point guards they play are a little undersized. Hopefully that's not the case next year, but Hobbsard might be. So like just having somebody with some legitimate size, some legitimate athleticism who can also shoot the ball would be a huge coup for them. Like Tommy Shepard has said each of the last two off seasons, he wants to add shooters and athletes. Well, here's a guy that does that all in one package and, and could be better. I think, you know, he's a guy that could immediately impact this team as a role player because one, he doesn't have to dribble a thousand times to be productive. He could instantly help this team as a cutter in transition as a spot-up shooter, but he's got the potential to do more. Like the the handle needs to continue to be refined and tightened. He's not a guy that like is particularly good at attacking the rim off the dribble yet or just putting a guy on his hip and blowing by them. He just 
he tries. Like it's a first step will get by you, but it's not because he's beating you off the dribble necessarily. He settles for some jumpers because of that. And I, again, I really do think that's just more related to like the handle not being sharp enough or him not being confident in, you know, in it enough yet. Last season at Arizona, it, it looked considerably worse. So he has made strides in that role, which is great. Uh, but you're, you're going to need to you know see him continue to, to make improvement there. Sometimes he gets a little passive. He disappears a little bit. To me, I, I think this is a guy that worst case scenario is like prime auto porter, but plus athleticism. And like, not that auto was like a bad athlete, but he wasn't this kind of athlete at the very least. It's just about like continuing to use his tools in a way that makes him most impactful on the game. And, and I think that'll continue to come with time. Again, he's got great size and athleticism. He will literally put people on posters, which would be cool to see a few more wizards with the ability to do that. Flies down the floor, great transition score. Doesn't really like try to do too much, which is another thing I think the wizards need. It won't be one of those situations where he's complaining he doesn't get to you know break people down off the dribble more or some of the stuff that was supposedly being said in the locker room. Like he's just not that kind of guy, and he's ranked in the 91st percentile in the country in jump shot efficiency. Shot 42% from three as a freshman, so he can shoot it. This year's at 37, but he's the focal point of that offense and forced to take, you know, maybe not as many great shots. He's 45% on catch and shoot opportunities. Uh, he's good whether he's guarded, and it's also good when he's unguarded, which is great. He's somebody that really makes sense to me for this team. Great wing rebounder, which with certain centers on our team, like even Porzingis, he's not a terrific rebounder. Kuzma's been really good, but Having another guy to kind of flank Porzingis and rebound with him would be a benefit, I think. And, you know, again, he, I said he's a good cutter, but he's good at getting to the foul line off of cuts and offensive rebounds. And he attacks the glass, which is great. He's shooting reasonably close to 50, 40, 85-ish, which is awesome for, for a small forward that has a high usage rate like he does for them. So this is a guy I'm all in on. I think he makes a lot of sense for the Wizards. There are plenty of other guys out there. We talked about AJ Griffin from the wing position. Jalen Duran uh, is another guy for the Memphis Center that, you know, if they went with another big, which again, I, I personally would try to stay away from in this draft. There's been a lot of debate on Wizards Twitter about best player available or drafting for need. And to me, the answer is yes, right? You should be doing both if you can. If you have two players and all things being equal, one of them is a huge need for you, then you take the one that's a position of need. For me, I, I've mentioned this before, I'm always in favor of drafting wings because they don't become available as free agents very often. When teams do draft them, they lock them up long-term as much as possible. When the Wizards don't have cap space the next couple of years, they'll wish they had a wing that was impactful, whereas they can always go out and get a cheap, productive point guard or a cheaper, productive center. All those other positions are easier to fill via free agency. So if you only have one outlet to really get a long-term wing, this is the this is the way to do it. Like this is where you should draft. But I also wouldn't reach on somebody just to say we need a wing. So fortunately, this is a very uh, wing-heavy draft. Point guards are not great. We're, we talked a little bit last episode with Vinny Hardy of Believe in Kentucky about Ty Ty Washington. He's a little banged up still. Hopefully he can get himself healthy, but that's kind of it for the point guards in like the mid to late lottery range. Like a, a lot of these guys, eh, you know, we'll, we'll get a little bit deeper into them as the season progresses here, but I hear everybody saying like, go draft a point guard. Well, that's really hard to expect a rookie point guard to come in and suddenly like 
make this a better team. Uh, now, if you're doing it long term, that's great. Whereas I think somebody like Matherin or AJ Griffin could come in and play a role for the Wizards immediately. And especially if they make some kind of move in the offseason to consolidate some things even more. If you lose a Denny or a Rui or one of these guys in a trade, well, okay then. Like now, now we're talking. But you know, if you have a guy that can be a Kispert level shooter that is a freak athlete and projects as a defender, and you can get him with this year's first round draft pick, then you should certainly do that. Like that's what we're kind of talking about here. That's again just my personal opinion and preference, but hey, that's that's what that's what this show is is me bringing you uh, things that I think would be interesting from a Wizards fan's perspective. So we'll keep it coming. Again, we got some good draft stuff coming up. Kevin Broom and Oz and I later on will we'll do maybe a mock draft for where we think the Wizards will land. We'll do a on Tankathon. We'll simulate the lottery and, and just kind of pick from there and give you some context of which players might be available and which ranges. Kevin does some of his uh, Yoda-based metrics, ye old draft analyzer. So we'll, we'll get his sort of numbers-based perspective on where these guys should go. And it'll just give us something to kind of beat up and talk about and, and hopefully preview guys on some draft stuff. Potentially the Wizards will not have to worry about the lottery. We'll see. I'm still sort of inclined that they probably do not end up making the playoffs, whether they make the play-in or not is sort of still up for debate. But, you know, we'll, we'll see how this goes. Again, I'd like to thank Atan Thomas for being on the show book is really good. It's available on Amazon. I will include the link in the, uh, you know, the episode description here and tweet it out with this too. So if you don't want to search the name or any of those things, I'll I'll make it easy for you to find. The audiobook is terrific. It's a pretty easy read because it is broken up well into, you know, sort of distinct sections. So you can knock out a 15 minute chapter here or a 15 minute interview there and, and kind of pick things up at pretty good places. So as always, thank you for listening to Believe in Wizards. Rate, review, subscribe. Again, we appreciate all that good stuff and we'll catch you next week. And as always, we were presented by betonline.ag. ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time there's granger offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need plus you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done